crypto, Bitcoin. You hear the terms, but should you even care? And are these really the currencies of the future? How do these things even work? Well, I'm Aaron Greger, and these are the questions that I wanted the answers to. So I started a podcast. Join me and explore the topic of cryptocurrency with my friend Gary Leland and other industry experts. Welcome to Clarifying Crypto. So welcome to another episode of Clarifying Crypto. I'm Aaron Greger here with my co-host, Gary Leland. Gary, welcome. Howdy, howdy, howdy. How's it going today? It's going good, going good. I started working in the house on Wednesdays, so I spend the whole day at home on Wednesday, so it's kind of nice. Yeah, we were usually recording these on Thursdays, and now we're- That's why I asked if we could switch to Wednesday, because I'm here all day Wednesday. I don't have to make a trip home just to record this podcast. Well, that works for me. And today- is a very special day on the Clarifying Crypto podcast because Gary and I are opening up our arms and welcoming guests now. And we have the infamous Mrs. H- Ms. Hoddle, sorry, from Twitter, Ms. Justine. Justine, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're very excited to talk to you because the whole goal of this has always been, oh, Gary's, if you can't see... <laughs> If you can't see the video, Gary's holding up a word HODL, H-O-D-L, uh, a word I had to become familiar with because I was, I'm not selling my Bitcoin anytime soon. And that's what the term HODL is. You're hold, what is it? Holding on for dear life? Right. What does it stand for? Or, or writing down, spelling out hold while you're drunk, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very possible. See, there's there's like a meme, there's a meme behind it, right? Like it was a total, I forget what it is. It's a Bitcoin talk forum mistake that turned into a meme, like so many other Bitcoin memes that have that random story and, and they just take off. So yeah. I think he was drunk and he, and someone said, are you going to sell your Bitcoin? He says, no, I'm going to hold. And he misspelt it. He was drunk and he said, hodl. That's awesome. <laughs> like knowing what I saw from Bitcoiners at Bitblock Boom, that story does not surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, so, but I, I wasn't there, so I don't know. That's just what I've been told. Which may, it makes complete sense. <laughs> so Justine, I know you're all over Twitter and I know I'm really excited to have you here because we shared the story a couple of weeks ago, but Gary was like super excited and he actually used this term. Did you see how, like we have so many women at Bitbox Boom this year? There's like seven or eight. Like <laughs> <laughs> He was that serious. It wasn't. There was like seven or eight, but it was substantially, substantially a larger number than previous conferences. Correct, Gary? Yeah, yeah. I think last year we had two. So I mean, we were really we were growing threefold, three and a half times. So yeah. it was really booming. So two hundred men and seven women. So we really are growing on the women part. Yeah, I mean, for the single ladies, like I don't think your odds can quite get any better just for next year. And and we even had a female speaker this year, so we're really making inroads. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) You're you're very progressive in the Bitcoin world. (laughs) So I wanted to talk to you, Justine, because you've talked so much about you you don't have a technical background, which a lot of people assume, and it, it can be a very technical world. You're feeling your way through this too, and step by step. And what I like about you is you ask for a lot of help. The Twitter world, you're not trying to be somebody you're not. You're simply interested in this field, trying to navigate through it just like everyone else, but you're genuinely asking questions. So I'd love to know a little bit about your background. Like what intrigued you about Bitcoin, first of all, but how did you even get there where this was actually intriguing to you? 
Yeah. So for me, I have always sort of had a desire to be self-reliant, uh, self-sustainable, self-sovereign, was really working towards that for quite a few years, had a small home set up in South Dakota. And uh, part of that world is also some sort of currency <laughs> that is not dependent on the government in that space. It's very much the idea that the central banks are not working for us, right? Like we need to protect our wealth in some way. And the only way to do that was gold or having prepping capabilities, having skills where you don't have to depend on things, bartering, those sorts of aspects. So it was something I dabbled in quite a bit. And then Bitcoin kind of came into the picture and I always blank on when this was, I believe it was 2016, late 2016, when I first kind of came across it, it was it was getting a lot of buzz and like the alternative news sources. And it clicked to me on like a philosophical level. Like here is this currency that is not controlled by a centralized party. There's a cap limit of how many exist. So you have the scarcity level, scarcity aspect. And it was really interesting to me as someone who had already been looking for that. The idea that you could transfer it without having to carry your gold, those sorts of things were really attractive to me. And so then I went and kind of dug into it didn't really come across any sources of information that made it click for me. It seemed extremely intimidating, way over my head, just things I was not familiar with from not coming from a technical background. I look at it and think, well, how is it secure? How can it not just be hacked? How can it not just be changed? Like These are things I don't understand about it. And I just didn't really find information that made me feel comfortable enough to jump in. My sort of mindset, I'm not a gambler. I'm not going to throw money at something I don't understand. So the idea sounded great, but I just didn't find the information that made me feel comfortable. A few months, few months later, there was an alternative news program talking about some social blockchain where you posted content and you made crypto. And it was a no risk way to explore this thing I had heard about months before and thought, okay, hmm. I can throw some content on, you earn a little content, and I just started exploring. So then started really learning about a lot of the um, keywords that I'd heard before that I didn't even know what they were, nodes and keys and, and transactions of this sort, and started being able to explore in a way that was very, safe isn't the right word, but there was no risk. I didn't have to put money into it. I threw a post out, I made some money, I could kind of explore the wallet with that. And then spent a lot of time, more time than I'd like to admit, trying to make this project or this space that I had fallen into what I was under the impression Bitcoin would be, this hard money currency. And it took a long time to sort of realize this is not the hard money I'm looking for. This is a social aspect that people are using with some of this technology, but it's not really what I'm looking for. So then I started to explore a little bit more back into Bitcoin didn't really even understand the differences, right? Like how is this thing that I'm in different than Bitcoin anyways? So I started looking back at Bitcoin with the knowledge I had learned. Things weren't as, in, as intimidating anymore. And it clicked for me and why Bitcoin was that hard money I was looking for. So then I threw in. This was probably, gosh, I was in this other project for years and got really super involved. I think it was 2018 before I actually purchased my first Bitcoin. And at that time, I still was not 100% on it, right? Like I just threw in a little bit of like, okay, this makes sense. And then just started digging, asking tons of questions, going to conferences, just wanting to learn as much as I could. So it took me a long time to come back around and fully understand it enough or feel confident enough in it 
to invest. So that's kind of how I got here, the self-sovereign, self-reliant, do-it-yourself mindset is something that really resonates with me. And so I think that's what attracted me to Bitcoin originally. So what was it that helped you kind of go over the edge? Like where you were like, "Eh, okay, I'll put some money in, but now I'm like all in. (laughs) So that was understanding it. So really asking questions, talking to a lot of the really intelligent people in the space, because I had fears of how, like what makes it secure, those original questions. And then just, it was more trusting myself to be able to do it. I I joke that I barely know how to use my phone, right? So how am I, how am I going to feel confident in investing in something that I am solely responsible for in that way? So I think it was just learning more. I think that you find confidence in education. And so as I learned more and more, I started throwing more and more money in, listening to a lot of the great speakers in the space, asking questions, exploring. So it was more of just like a gradual falling down the rabbit hole of this isn't for me clearly to, okay, like I kind of get it. This is interesting to being all in. So it was a gradual process. I I say it's kind of stepping stones or like peeling back of the onion. (laughs) Like the more you learn, the more confident you get, the more you just want to jump in. Well, you know, it takes quite a bit of time there, Justine, to learn everything. I've been doing this quite heavily for quite a few years now, I feel like, and I don't feel like I know near everything there is to know no i was oh i'm a total noob (laughs) yeah i still say like i am still i'm still learning (laughs) i want to be very clear about that i know nothing (laughs) and i'm still very much learning i'm just trying to share that experience with others but to see where i came from though i feel like i've learned so much so it's definitely a process yeah. Gary, what was your tipping point? Because I know, weren't you introduced to it kind of a while ago? And you didn't I was introduced it? to it back when it was maybe $100 for the first time. And, mm. you know, when I was introduced to it, I was told it was on like a person, I don't know if Mark Hopkins from yeah. around Dallas, he introduced me to it over at Callie Lewis's studio over there. He had a place back there. And uh, he kept telling me it was like online stocks. So, that didn't hold much interest to me because most of the time I we just handle all our money with a financial advisor who does that. So I kind of like, oh, okay. And I saw him the next time a week later and he said the same thing basically. And then I heard Adam Curry talking about it quite a bit when it was around a thousand dollars on his podcast, no agenda show. And then when it was maybe $3,200, I was at the big D conference speaking in Dallas and I ran into Tony Sakala who was telling about four or five people in a hallway, I came up at the end of a conversation they were having. And uh, this is my third exposure to it. And I said, everybody just left. They weren't interested at all in what he had to say. And I said, hey, could you go over that with me? And we, maybe it was one o'clock and at five o'clock, we were still sitting on the couch talking about it. And I left that night to drive home that afternoon. I downloaded a podcast for the way home and listened and came back the next day and we went to his house. And he showed me his minors and we talked about it for about another five hours. And I was in pretty heavy at that point. I just needed someone to explain it to me, not as money, really, not as stocks. You know, because that didn't have, that didn't appeal much interest to me. Because usually when I picked the stock, it lost money. So I wasn't really excited about online stocks. So, but when, when it started being more the mining, the, the, as an internet protocol, things like that interested me a lot more. You know, so that's kind of where mine was. So interesting. So I know you talked about too, Justine, like controlling it. And I was telling Gary, 
So if, if next to my desk, there's a drawer. It's like a graveyard of jump drives or hard drives, right? That have died because I've dropped them. I've done something. And then you're handing me a wallet <laughs> that you're telling me is completely control of my money that I have to, like, it's, it's very invigorating and it's very terrifying all in the same thing. So how did you step through it and get more confidence in being in that control too? Again, not having the super technical background. I think I'm still working through that process. I think that that takes time. And that's why I think it's really important to tell people why self-custody is important, but also make sure that they know the risk and that they feel confident before they take that risk. For me, it was the idea of, it's really important for me to not rely on a middleman. This is something, a practice that I kind of have throughout my life. So that was something extremely important to me. So I just fell in and, and experimented with a lot of different hard wallets and actually had, I was terrified, like making my first transaction for where I was like transferring things off of an exchange to a wallet I hold the keys of was a terrifying process to me, but you know, just you do it. And then it's not as, it's not as scary anymore. And then my first experience doing the hard wallet, I had to actually get somebody like on a Zoom. It was like, will you please just walk me through this? Because I'm so afraid I'm going to mess something up. So it's just, for me, I'm hands-on learning and it was doing it. It was not being afraid and just kind of doing it. And of course you start out with smaller amounts. I think the first hard wallet I tried, I had like 150 bucks on it. And it was sort of this mindset of like, this is important. I want to experiment with it, but I also don't want to lose all my money. <laughs> so it definitely was was a challenge, but I went pretty quickly where I didn't want to keep things on exchanges and just went to like a, a mobile wallet, which I felt was the next step from an exchange. I held those keys in a way, you hold, I guess, half. And so I felt a little more confident in that. So it was definitely, it was a process. It was just a process. And I'm still in that stage because I'm still figuring out the node aspect, which is important. And, and experimenting with the other hard wallets to find the one that I feel more confident in and is the most secure, I guess. So I would say I'm still in, in that stage. What's your favorite wallet right now? I'm a fan of the cold card wallet. Yes, I'm a big fan of cold card. Gary, is that the one you sent me the video on? Yes, it is. MVK sells those. He's a sponsor for BitBlockBoom. He sends us tons of stuff to give away from his company. It's, it's, wouldn't you agree, Assessing it's probably one of the harder ones to set up, mm-hmm. you know, but it's probably the most secure without a doubt. But, right. you know, I think a problem a lot of people make, when I, I look at this from dealing with a lot of boomers who are not technically savvy, trying to think of ways to make it easier for them. And I, I think boomers get a really uh, bad rap on that because a lot of things boomers don't understand, young people don't understand either. It's just boomers aren't like really good at computers. It, a lot of them are scared they'll break them or something sometimes because they don't use them. Ever. A lot of them, they didn't grow up with them. But one of the mistakes I think people make with newbies on Bitcoin is they're throwing all the stuff at them. They're throwing... Bitcoin, you got to know what the blockchain is, you got to get your wallet and set it all up and you got all this stuff and it's kind of overwhelming. We're really, if you just do something like, you know, put them on a swan, where they start buying some Bitcoin without paying any attention to it, they aren't buying a lot, no matter whether they're old or young, they're getting some Bitcoin, now they got some skin in the game, so they start reading about it or looking at blog posts or watching videos or paying attention. 
then all of a sudden they've acquired a little bit. It's not enough to break them, but they don't want to lose it either. Then you move to the next step. But so many people want to like get them buying a Bitcoin, understanding everything, setting up their wallet and all this stuff that no matter whether you're old or young, you're going, I can't handle all of that. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah, I agree. I So in my opinion, I think when you get like, when you get skin in the game, right? When you just, even if you own just a little, you get curious about it. And my, my favorite story of that is like my mom. So we used to have this uh, mobile wallet that I, that I put for, and I, like, it would be silly where maybe we went to lunch and where we would take turns paying. Maybe I would send her Bitcoin to her wallet as payment or something so that she has some. And is it a wallet that she has custody of? No. Does she even know how to use it? Absolutely not. But we would transfer it back and forth and it, it was curious. It made her curious. It made her want to know more. So I think actually having some is the first step for a lot of people is that then it feels real. They want to explore it more. But I think the biggest mistake people make, like you said, is dump so much information on people where it's just an information overload. And then they feel like it's not something they can do because that's way too much. I have a little bit of elementary education background. And so I also, in my small business, would teach people how to make products that I sold. So like personal care items, deodorants, lotions, those sorts of things. And I would do classes of how to teach that. And a lot of people find it very intimidating. These items of making something for yourself rather than buying it is a very intimidating thing. But what I learned is that they just do one thing, like just forget all the other stuff, forget how insane it all can be and how uh, intimidating it is. And just focus on this one item, just make it. And once you feel confident from that, then you want to explore more that confidence is huge. So I think that's a huge mistake is throwing so much at people that they're like, holy cow. And I think, yeah, it's a process. Get them started. And then they learn why the security is important. And then it's okay to know that, hey, this is the end goal. The end goal for you, if it's important to you, is to be your own bank and to be self-sovereign and not depend on anybody else and to have keys and secure your, your Bitcoin. But these are the steps that you can take to get there. And these are the risks you're taking by depending on a third party in some aspects, but there's also a risk to holding your keys and losing them. So it's a balance. And so I do think that's one mistake people make is not making it clear that it is a learning process and it's okay to start here and then move forward as you're ready. I think that's really important. I left mine on Coinbase for like a year. I was so terrified because then Gary kept, he didn't mean to, but he kept frightening me because he's like, well, be careful. Like, don't send it to the wrong wallet. I'm like, oh my God, like I could send it to a wrong wallet. Of course, now it's that, but it's, it is true. That first transfer was, I think, I, I still have like nightmares for it. It was so scary. Just like, oh my gosh. And I did a small amount. I went over, but I agree with you. I think, but I think what's intimidating too, is that it is an unknown. And so even if you start small for me, I wanted to understand what I was investing in. And I feel like there's a lot of even layers to understanding the premise of Bitcoin too. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah, I think it takes a while, to, like I said earlier, to Justine understand, to really understand it. And because there's so much to understand, and it's such a deep subject. But like, my sister does $50 a month. And every time I talk to her, she goes, I can't help it. I look at it every day to see what it's doing. And she must have, she has like $100 in there now. I think she's been doing it two months. And she goes, I've got my friend John. He's going to get some. And she's like, now she's like among her 70 year old peer group. 
she's like the Bitcoin lady. She's telling them all to get Bitcoin. And because she started doing it, she's been doing it two months now. She feels pretty comfortable. But at $100, you know, if her Bitcoin does disappear, it's not like it's life-threatening. No one wants to lose 100 bucks, but it's not going to wreck her life. So if I'd have, exactly. like you said, we'd have made her learn all this stuff, she'd have never got her $100 worth. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think the process takes time. Learning about it, everything. It all takes time. You know, Ju- Justine, you <laughs> had an interesting, you had an interesting video. I think I told you at the Bitcoin brunch. I thought you had a really good video I saw on your Twitter page. And maybe it was like four things or five things that Bitcoiners need to know. Uh, have you seen that, Aaron? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I saw something. It was recent. Was it recent or maybe you posted it again on Twitter? I have it pinned. It was like back in May and it's like five things newbies want to ask but are afraid to. And it was like this idea that there's so many things that when I like when I started looking into Bitcoin, there were all these really these questions that I had that seemed so silly. It was things I didn't really want to ask because it seemed like common sense things that everybody knew, but I, I didn't understand from being able to buy a portion of a Bitcoin. You go and you look at the Bitcoin price and it's intimidating. Well, I can't afford that. Well, no, you can buy a portion of it. You can throw $100 at it. You can throw $10 at it. You can, whatever you want to purchase, you can. You don't have to buy a whole one. That concept, I think, takes people time to get, to get used I, to. I've heard that what a ton of time from people. Yeah. I, I'd like to get some, but I don't have $10,000. Yeah. They don't, I mean, it's just... I can buy not a whole one. That That's not something people get. Another big one for me when I first started looking into it, and this was like back in 2016 when I first heard about it, was when you Google it, unfortunately, we have these other things that aren't BTC that call themselves Bitcoin. And for someone who's first looking into it, that's confusing because now like what's real, what's not real. When I go to a exchange, what am I purchasing? So yeah, BTC is Bitcoin. If you go to look for Bitcoin, that's what you're looking for. Now, if you go to look for some silly cryptos because you want to trade, by all means, do what you want to do, free market. But like, if you're looking for Bitcoin, this is what you're looking for because that's confusing. And then it was, yeah, get things off of exchanges. I forgot what the other ones were. But yeah, these were all things that I had questions about in the beginning that seem very simple to people who have been in the space, but questions I hear all the time. I get DMs from people that are like, hey, you said that we shouldn't store things on an exchange, but like, what do I do? Like, how do I not do that? What what does that mean? And so I think people overestimate the knowledge in the space and the very simple things that people are confused about. So I I just randomly thought, I'm going to make a video of these really simple things that might be helpful to people. And yeah, that video came to be in. And so... I don't know. Those those were things that I struggled with in the beginning. I love it. Gary was telling a funny story last time about how he was talking to somebody and he's like, well, go get the cash app. And she was like, well, what app? He's like, the cash app. Like, well, what what type of, no, the, the cash app. Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's called. Yeah. No, just yeah. The- well, and cash app's great too, because people use it for cash. They use it for US dollars. So they're like, oh, I can use that for Bitcoin. So that's kind of a nice nice way to get some normies as well. Yeah. So I'm going to assume this about you since you were at Bitbot Boom, but the Bitcoin maximalist, what made you go all in on Bitcoin or do you, do you invest in other crypto? I make jokes that I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist because I use US dollars and goats and things, but because just because there's jokes about what, what is a maxi, like, what does that mean? I've never personally called it 
called myself that, but I am all in on Bitcoin. And I have no interest in trading. I experimented a lot with like the social blockchains because that's where I started. I, I actually was like very involved in the behind the scenes, building aspects of it. And it just was something that I just didn't, it wasn't my thing. I have no interest in, in content in that way. I have no interest in credit card points on a blockchain. And I don't mean that in a rude way. It's just not, it's not where my, it's not where my passion is. So I, yes, Bitcoin is what I'm all in on. Because I've never heard of a social blockchain. Can I have you explain that? Yes. Yeah, so social blockchains is what I call them. I'm not even sure if that's a correct term. Maybe I've coined it. Like Steam was where I started, which is now Hive. I think EOS has voice. So the idea that you're doing like social media and you're getting paid in the currency based on inflation for your post. And while the idea at the time made sense to me and it sounded cool, like, oh, you get you get compensated for contributing to the ecosystem by adding valuable content. But that's just not the reality. It's people gaming the system to earn this free inflation that then just devalues the currency. And I don't know why anybody would need social aspects on a blockchain. It's just not really my thing. But yes, so more of those ones that have like the social platforms attached to a currency in a blockchain is what I call social blockchains. There's quite a few now. I can't even name them all. But that's that's where I first started. So for me, that's not my goal. I don't invest in anything else. I don't trade. I yeah, I just Bitcoin and hodl. <laughs> I just hodl all the things. So yes. You you made me look because I do put my videos on voice just because I want the content everywhere I can get it. Because there's content about Bitcoin. But I've never gone to voice to see if I had any of whatever their money is called. I don't even know what it's called. And so while you were talking, I went and looked to see what I have. And I have 1,100 of something. I have no idea what it is. You have something. Yeah, but I got 1,143 well, I mean of them, whatever it is. Right. And for content creators, like if I'm being logical here, for content creators to be able to go on and maybe they do make money that they then put in Bitcoin or put in US dollars and they're being able to monetize their work. I mean, that's fine. That's, that's fine to me. It's just, I'm not really, I'm not making content in that way. It's not, it just was never anything that really, even when I was working on it, like I hate to say that because I really love the community. These are people that I have known for a long time because it's where I started, but I, my heart was never in it. Some people are just so passionate about this idea of like social stuff on a blockchain. And I was like, why? <laughs> and then it was tokenize the web. And I'm like, why? So it just was not... It just wasn't anything that I was really into. I just sort of had gotten, not stuck, but that's where I started. And that's what I thought I could turn into this concept of hard money that I wanted. And then it took a really long time to realize like, oh no, this is totally, totally different than what I'm looking for. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything but Bitcoin at this point. So what would be the difference of that? Because Gary, you and I have talked about Twitter adding that, like they're talking about adding a thing where I can pay you for Bitcoin. So is that kind of similar concept, except it's just Bitcoin or the fact I'm maybe I'm earning it more because somebody's offering to pay me versus somebody viewed me so many times? I don't know if I understand so I the question. Go ahead, like you mean the tips aspect that you can add to Twitter to where, yeah. is it Brave browser or something that you can, you can tip with? He was going to add that or something where I could. Well, that was a tip feature, I thought. Yeah. Okay. So is that, that's different then than the social content? 
piece. It depends on if it has a coin with it. But yeah, I mean, a tipping feature, I think is cool. I mean, that's taking money that I've purchased, right? And I'm tipping you with it. The concept of this was it was all inflation based. Nobody needed to invest to earn anything. Nobody needed to invest to tip someone. It was all just based on money that was constantly money that was constantly being printed. So I think that that concept is really flawed. Having a tip feature, I think is a bit different. I'm sure if there were currencies that it was in, then you know that that's adding the, the coin with the blockchains and all of that. But I don't think you need a blockchain to have a tipping feature. Okay. Yeah, th th it already exists. The blockchain already exists that you can use for that purpose. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin. See all this stuff, Gary. Why don't you tell me about this? We've been only having like talking for months now. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the hell. Sorry. Okay, okay. I'll let this one slide. So nodes. I listened to a podcast that you were on, and you talked about building a node. I had this conversation with Gary last week, like. Oh my God, why do I need my own node? Why do I need to figure this out? He explained it to me, but I'd love to hear what made you decide you wanted a node or you wanted to build a node and how that process is going. Yeah, so for me, it was the idea that if I'm not using my own node and verifying my own transactions, then I'm depending on somebody else to do that. So if my goal is to not depend on others and not have a, a middleman, then that's an important aspect for me. The setting one up <laughs> has been interesting. I am in a location where internet is just super limited. Like I have satellite internet that I'm limited on 50 gigabytes a month. Like I, I'm just limited. And so trying to do that was very hard for the initial sinking. Even when I'm in town at my business, we're in the middle of nowhere too. So it's satellite internet. So it's just, it's hard. I have no connection to like a high speed unlimited internet. So originally I thought it was impossible. And then I went into Casa's lightning node type thing where maybe it was precinct, still had issues. So currently right now I have an old laptop that has Bitcoin core downloaded on it that I, we pull the, the data off of a, a CASA. So it's pretty much like if somebody downloaded the blockchain on a hard drive for me, and then I took it, same concept, except now I'm going through the process of validating those blocks, because if not, I've been still depending on somebody else. And so currently right now they're validating the, the old blocks. That's taking forever, just based on my setup. Probably if I wasn't using just an old piece of crap laptop, it would probably be quicker. But I had this goal of like, what can I do this? One, can I do this with my connection? Two, can I do this with stuff just laying around? Because sure, I could go and you know buy equipment. I could go find somewhere that I could set this up, maybe leave it at somebody's house for a certain amount of time. But I was really, it was more being stubborn of like, I want to know if I can do this with what I have available and with the connection that I have which maybe is too stubborn, but, <laughs> but Hey, it's, it's a learning process. So it's been really cool. I've been like, Udi sits on zoom calls with me or he did it at the time. And he's like walking me through the command line. So I haven't actually used the node yet because I'm still waiting. So I think there's still going to be quite a learning process of just the skill set of, of knowing how to use your node, right? Because having one is great, but knowing how to use it is a whole nother level. So yeah, but for me, it's important just because the goal is not to depend on others. And so a node is needed. This is intimidating to me. Gary, were you going to say something? I will say. No. 
I will say that it's not as scary as it sounded. Just like with everything else, get somebody who can explain it to you in a way that you understand, which I think is kind of the same thing of how Bitcoin clicked. Like you hear something from somebody that finally resonates with you. There's a lot of videos of how-tos. I think they could probably be dumbed down even more. And I know that's not a great term to use, but to be honest, because when I got on it and felt like Udi's walking me through it, like I felt very confident in, I'm not going to screw anything up because he's not going to let me. And then I was like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't as hard as I thought. So yes, take the leap, <laughs> experiment. There's a lot of really good options that make it actually very easy. That's kind of the joke with me is I'm having a horrible process, but there are things on the market that make it easy. My node, you seriously plug and play, or you can build your own using a Raspberry Pi and you don't have to deal with the same issues that I'm dealing with. I'm sort of a unique case with my internet. <laughs> now, my yes. kids live in Wisconsin and middle of nowhere on a farm. When I go up there, it's great. But oh my God, if I need to get any work done, mm -mm -mm. It's, it's painful. Yeah, yeah. I make jokes that I need Elon Musk to come save me. Like, please come give me Starlink. Like, help me out. Because I can do a lot, but it's, it's, not, it's not great. No, you're limited. So how long have you been working on this node and how much longer do you have, do you think you have yet till it's fully functioning? I started the process of wanting to have a node and run one, I think back in March, maybe wow. April. And then I kind of gave up because it wasn't working. And then I'm trying to remember when exactly Udi reached out maybe in June, maybe June or July. And he was like, no, this is what we can do. We're going to figure it out. And so we, there was a lot of trial and error. So I got the hard drive with all the information onto my computer probably like two and a half weeks ago. And it's been validating since then. It takes a long time to validate the whole thing. Such a long time. Yes. So that's where I am now. So I think I probably have another two weeks before it's done validating. And then it should just be actually setting up the node. So I'm probably maybe a month tops out of actually having a running node. So who's actually validating it? Like you send it out there and so, like, what, how does a validating process work? So your computer is validating it against the other ledgers of the blockchain from my understanding. So it's comparing it to the others to ensure that it's correct. Even if you, even if you buy a CASA correct. node, <laughs> even if you buy a CASA node that's preloaded, it still has to kind of go through and update and check and make sure if you do something like a start nine, they do a pruned version of the node with the Bitcoin core, which is a lot quicker to download the pruned version. Mm -hmm. And you don't have some of the information that's on the first 10 years worth of uh, Bitcoin, but you really don't need that information. You just need to know the blocks were processed and that they are, are locked up when the Bitcoin left from one to another. So that's been a way it's been explained to me at least ways. And you have, you have like several nodes, right, Gary, or at least one? Yeah, I'm running three of them, a Noddle, a Casa node, and a uh, one by Start9. And Start9 is by far, they were at Bitblock Boom in the hallway. They, they by far are the easiest of them all to set. None of them were really hard. I guess Start9 was the easiest, Casa was second easy, and Noddle was the hardest out of the three. Like what's Yeah, and Aaron, just so you know, Go ahead. Sorry, my connection's behind too, so I'm probably interrupting. But just so you know, with the CASA, so I was actually really intimidated. Just it's a plug and play. And here, me not knowing anything was nervous about that. 
it was so easy that like when I plugged it in and then, oh, you plug it into your router and then you pull up it on your computer because it, it connects to it through their site and it just starts and it's a beautiful interface and it's super easy. So they are very easy to set up, especially if you're doing the plug and play. And I mean, Bitcoin Core, if it wasn't for my setup, would also be relatively easy to do. So I think it's intimidating sounding, but if you see it in action and actually start doing it, it's actually relatively simple. I do try to really point out that me, my, yeah, my situation is very different. I think a lot of people can relate to my situation, but it's definitely not the node process is what's difficult right now. It's getting through the obstacles of the service that I have and troubleshooting and trying to come up with ways to make it work over and above that. Okay. How many like nodes should you be running? Like Gary, at what point are you going to say, I have too many nodes? Like what, what number are you going for? Well, I'm just, I just like experimenting and checking out new stuff. So since I have them, I might as well run them, I figure. That's how I look at them. I haven't, I was setting them up and I was starting to, Kelly from, that was with BTC pay server was going to help me set up uh, my noddle to use BTC pay server. But then I moved from the studio to the studio of my house. And I haven't found the box that I put all the nodes in. So uh, they're in a box somewhere. I know I'll find them. But so I haven't set those up yet. But I'll probably just plug the other ones in and just run them just as support for the Bitcoin network and use one as my really main node that I do my transactions on and stuff like that. And the other ones, like I said, and if I require any more, it'll be just like I'm just acquiring just to set them up and see what's involved. Because I didn't know anything about nodes when I started doing them, you know, and now I'm not the most intelligent person in the world, but I know they're easy to do, the ones I've done. All right. Well, I'm going on a trip and I'm dedicating that when I get back from the trip, I will start my node process, start opening this door. So, okay. One more question that I want to talk about, again, reading on some stuff uh, that you had written, you really talked about the community and I wanted like both yours and Gary's perspective on this. And really talking about the long haul of the community, like the community as a whole could drive up prices really quick. So, I mean, you've heard, you've heard that fear, right? It's all very, what's the word I'm looking for? Like volatile, like people could drive it up, they could drive it down. But you talked in several posts that you did about how the community really is looking for the long, most of them, right? Looking for the long haul, the value of that. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing and what they're doing that they really are trying to protect the value of Bitcoin and really building it up for a long haul. And then Gary, I'd love to get your, your insight on that too. Sure. I mean, one of the, I, I joke that the only medium post I've ever made, which one of these days when things calm down a little bit, I'd love to write more, but is the idea that the beauty of Bitcoin is the way that it was designed. The incentives line up in a way that benefits the network and anyone who's a part of it. So I found that really refreshing coming from a project that was not the case, that there was so much turmoil because you as a community member had to call out people who were doing wrong because when they did wrong, it affected your, your investment because the incentives were just not lined up. The incentive was to game the system and farm rewards and cash out and screw over everybody else. That's what the incentives were. With Bitcoin, that's not the case. Everybody kind of wins and loses together, right? Like, so if I contribute to Bitcoin in some positive way, I'm benefiting myself, but I'm also benefiting the network. 
everybody who's invested in Bitcoin wants the price to go up. That's a common theme. That's that's normal. And so you're not going to really run into someone who's going to be doing something that's going to hurt Bitcoin on a price level. Of course, there's been cases that people are trying to gain control, which hurts Bitcoin, or maybe try to push agendas that could hurt Bitcoin. But generally, like everybody's kind of in the same boat, which I found really refreshing. For me, I think it's it's extremely refreshing to see so many people that are long-term thinkers. Some people get into Bitcoin for the price. Some people just trade it. Some people just think it's one of their very many investments that they just move around depending on the fluctuation of the price, and that's fine. But for a lot of people, it's the end goal. Like for them, they see it as a revolution that's changing civilization by fixing the money, fix the money, fix the world. And I think that that's inspiring. I think that that really holds the community together in the way that we may not agree on anything, but we all have this unified view of Bitcoin being hard money. And I find that really great personally. As far as the community itself, I think that just holding, just holding your Bitcoin is beneficial for the Bitcoin community. And how many people do we have who are proud of that? And like, that's the narrative that they push is like, no, you need to be holding it. I think there's a lot of people contributing just because they see it as something beneficial. I think that Bitcoin Twitter, in my opinion, is irrelevant in a way. I know that's not probably a very popular thing to say, but like a lot of people hold Bitcoin who aren't on Bitcoin Twitter and your Twitter account has no effect on Bitcoin whatsoever. I think that's really important for us to all understand. But there's something pretty amazing about having this community that is just so like emotionally attached and so committed and so about it and so helpful. I mean, if I would have had Bitcoin Twitter back in 2016 when I first looked at Bitcoin, I may have jumped in then and saved myself a lot of time to have a place to go ask questions, to have a place to find like-minded, like-minded individuals. I think it's really beneficial, especially in the current state of the world. So I think, I think Bitcoiners are great. I, I think that they have this freedom loving mentality throughout. And I find that really, really beneficial and just different than what I've experienced in this space. And yeah, for me, that's, that's huge. While I don't think that Bitcoin needs us, quote unquote, I think that it's, it's definitely a benefit to have people who are passionate about it and passionate about protecting it and passionate about contributing. I think that because the incentives line up for us all to do that and it benefits everyone. Yeah. Gary, anything you want to add to that? Well, I think she's got a good point on everything. Bitcoiners no more use Twitter only than anyone else uses Twitter only. A lot of Bitcoiners are on Twitter, a lot are on LinkedIn, and a lot of them are on Facebook. I mean, I, I have to admit, I did not use Twitter until I started using Bitcoin. And then I migrated over to Twitter and became, Twitter became my number one social media, where it used to be Facebook before. And now I don't even open my Facebook page ever, you know, except in the morning to post my social media, my videos, and then I'm out of there for the day. So I think the main thing is, uh, another takeaway is the fact that 65% of the Bitcoin hasn't, that's in existence hasn't moved in a year. Saw that article. And so, I mean, that really shows you that not only is the word hodl a, a cute word, but it's a real thing that people believe in Bitcoin so much that they aren't buying and selling Bitcoin for the most part because they don't want to be like my friend that bought a pair of sunglasses in 2014 and now 
that Bitcoin's worth $60,000. So he has a $60,000 pair of sunglasses. So most people don't want to be in that situation. So they do hodl their Bitcoin. And most people in Bitcoin, because they believe in it, because they're hodling it, they aren't scamming people as much and trying to screw people around and making traps for Bitcoin for people to piss away their Bitcoin. So where I think a lot of other coins are just crap coins to begin with, and that's their whole total existence is someone decided they can make a buttload of money if they made a coin. It's going to be so interesting to see. Not, okay. And I, we need to prep. We didn't do our preface, Gary. We're not financial advisors. We don't pretend to be financial advisors. We're just people. Uh, in I don't even play one on TV. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, like, no, but uh, it's going to be so, because I mean, I think we can all agree. We feel there's going to be a run at some point, right? And it's just going to be interesting to see how the dynamic changes from the 2006, is it 17 or 17 run, I guess, to now. You know what I mean? Like, like we talked about last week with, with a guy from MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor being so much more in and, and all of this. So it's definitely going to be very interesting to see. So I agree with the community. I know I was nervous, like, well, people could run up the price and then sell, but I, I feel like everybody, majority of people are looking for the greater good that yes, you could rise up, go to a hundred thousand and sell, but it really is going to be much greater than a hundred thousand too, hopefully at some point. So anyway. but at the same, at the same time, you do have to realize that with Bitcoin right now, since it is unregulated and it is, a decentralized currency that it's manipulated by some a few whales can do a lot of manipulation on Bitcoin at this point because so many people there's a few people that have so much of it where us three got together we couldn't sell our Bitcoin and affect the price but there are people who can sell Bitcoin affect the price drastically and then rebuy again and make money off the deal so and I, I would not think SEC laws affect them like they would if they were doing that with stocks or gold. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I agree. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Justine, thank you so much for joining us. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, connect with you, where is the best place to send them? Twitter. Uh, DMs are open on Twitter. I kind of like Gary. I didn't find Twitter until Bitcoin and it's the only thing I'm on. I'm addicted like the rest of us. Uh, so yeah, my DMs are open. If anybody has any questions or just wants to connect by all means. And what's your Twitter handle? Oh, I'm sorry. Miss Hoddle is my Twitter handle. M-S-H-O-D-L. Not Miss Hold. <laughs> the drunk Miss Hold. Not Miss Hold and not Mrs. Hoddle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've had I've had lots of questions about the Miss Hoddle thing, which it was just random, but okay. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure being in a male world, you've probably been asked a few questions, unfortunately. So all right, awesome. We'll have that on our notes page. Gary, we have got four minute crypto or four minute bitcoin. God, I keep saying four minute crypto, four minute bitcoin at Gary Leland on Twitter. Bitblock boom, we've got coming up still. Tickets are still going, I'm assuming. Yeah, we've already sold over thirty percent of the tickets, and it's over a year away. So, so that's pretty. That's pretty good, to be honest with you. We've more sold more tickets already than we did the first two years combined, and it's still a year away. So, I, I think it's going to sell out this year. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Bitbox 
boom.com if I can say that. So as always, thank you for listening. You guys, thank you for being here with me today and we'll catch you on another episode of Clarifying Crypto.